This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by our new Full Focus planners, including our new coil format and our brown leather executive planner. Get them for 10% off today at fullfocusplanner.com. I think Megan is a great leader. So I'm thinking to myself, if I'm a pretty good leader and I get the chance to put somebody on the field as the quarterback that could be a great quarterback, why would I, why would I delay that? Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt-Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And today, we're changing formats. We're going to do something different, something experimental, but something that frankly has been a a long time coming. I'm really excited about this. I've been waiting for this for a while. I, I am too. I mean, okay, so here's the deal, guys. This is going to be more informal. This is going to be much more like Coffee with Megan and Michael, or whoever we decide to have on, mm-hmm. rather than something that's researched and scripted. And I think, you know, some of our listeners appreciate that, right? But we've had comments, if there have been any negative comments that we've had, is that people feel like sometimes it's too structured and maybe a little too wooden. And sometimes we feel like it's a little too structured. I mean, the truth is, you and I have been talking to each other now for, uh, well, about 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> So we like to think we're pretty good at that and we could just do that. And it would probably be more interesting for us and more interesting for you. So we're going to give it a try. Today, we want to talk about something that we've been thinking a lot about lately, which is the topic of succession. So this is going to give you a peek behind the curtain so that you can see what's been happening at Michael Hyatt and Company. But fear not, we're going to apply this to your situation And by the way, maybe you think that if you're the CEO, succession is important, or if you're a business owner, succession is important, and it is, but it's important at every level of the organization, and I'm going to give you a couple of examples of that as we go through the content. So let me just start with this, Megan. I want to see if you agree with this. Um, I believe it's my growing conviction, and it has been now for about 15 years, that there's no success without succession. And in fact, the word success is baked into the word succession. Do you agree or disagree? Um, I agree with that, but I think there's different kinds of succession. So what we're going to be sharing about in our own personal experience today is succession in a family business. Like how do you build a multi-generational family business? Because that's our intention. Um, But some people might do succession, obviously, outside of that context. The succession might look like the sale of a business. I mean, there's lots of ways that this can look. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're passing it on to a family member or even having continuity and ownership necessarily. Um, but but you're right. I think it, what we want to avoid is just kind of letting things die, you know, like a slow, uh, painful death that, you know, is unsatisfying to everybody. And I think, you know, for us, it goes back to our worldview about stewardship, that everything we have is a gift. Mm-hmm. that that gift, whatever it is, is given to us uh, to preside over temporarily. But ultimately, there's an accountability, and we'll pass it on to somebody else. I mean, that's that's true of our most important relationships. That's true of our property. That's true of the businesses that we run, the positions that we have, the roles that we play. All of that is temporary. You know, it may be 40 years, it may be 50 years, but it's still going to be temporary. Uh, at the very least, it all comes to a screeching halt when we die. Right. Then it goes to somebody else. And so what we don't want to do is be in a situation where we haven't thought about it. We haven't designed it. We just kind of drift into it or leave other people picking up the pieces. 
And which happens a lot. It It does a lot. And so I was talking to our business accelerator coaches this morning, which by the way, we have 10 coaches right now, which is amazing. And I was talking to them about this concept. And I just said, look, I've had a career that's now, you know, in its fourth decade and I've never seen this done well. I've never seen succession done well. You know, usually the person who is the occupant of a position within a corporation or within a business, you know, just is going to hold on by God to the very end. Right. You know, and in fact, and, this is like a topic you never bring up. Right. You know, and a lot is, of businesses you can, it's like right. almost, you know, it's a forbidden topic, but I can promise you if you run a business or if you lead a business, people are already talking about it. That's right. Right. You know, what happens, especially if you're really making a valuable contribution to the business and people think, what happens to my own security if suddenly, you know, you get hit by a truck or you get incapacitated in some way or decide to go to another opportunity? What happens to our department, to our division, to our business if that happens? Well, this is actually the number one question that I get asked in interviews with people increasingly over the last couple of years, probably the last two or three years. Almost every single interview that I do, which is everybody who is a director level candidate and above in their final their final interviews with me, and they always ask this. This is what they want to know, you know, besides what's it like to work in a family business and they're trying to kind of like test out is it healthy and on all that, which is totally reasonable. They want to know what's the long-term vision, what's the long-term plan, and what they're really asking is, do I have a future here? You know, I don't exactly. I don't want to invest my time and, and energy and talent in a place that has a limited shelf life or is declining, you know, and and that's what they want to know. So um, I think to your point, people are talking about this. They're probably not, if you are the CEO or the business owner, it's unlikely that they're going to ask you because I think most people just out of politeness would assume that that would be an inappropriate question to ask. I mean, essentially asking someone what, what happens after you die is a, is a pretty bold question to ask in a meeting, professional context, but they're asking somebody or they're thinking about it. Well, and in fact, it was somebody asking that question at our annual meeting with all our employees and their spouses. One of the spouses in the Q&A time, after I'd kind of presented the plan for the next five years, stood up and said, look, I'm not sure if this is out of place or not, but I just got to ask this question. What happens if you die or what happens when you die? Because it's not a question of if. Right. It's only a question of when, which, you know, I think there was this sort of audible gasp in the room. People were like, oh. You know, she's asked the forbidden question, <laughs> but I, I welcomed it because I had given a lot of thought to it, but it also helped me see the importance of making it really clear and really concrete mm-hmm. to our team. So before we get into that, I want to talk about three situations where it didn't go so well. Yeah. Okay. So I've been in situations where for, you know, like what you were talking about, Megan, where nobody could give voice to it. Nobody could ask the question. It was a forbidden topic. And then we just all had to deal with the fallout when there was a fallout, you know, when the CEO was taken out either because of a health issue or had some personal issue that took him out or her out, you know, that's not a good outcome either. I've also seen it and have experienced where the CEO seemed to be thinking about succession, but then once the succession happened, the CEO, in my case, fought it, you know, so I was I was the successor, my predecessor. I, he was my mentor. He, you know, was my advocate with the board. He nominated me for the position. Everything was, you know, all flowers and unicorns until I actually became the CEO. And then all of a sudden he was threatened because he hadn't thought clearly 
about what he was going to do next. Right. It was an identity crisis for him. It was a huge identity crisis. All he could uh, connect with at that moment is what he had lost. Mm -hmm. And he freaked out. And so then he spent the next two years trying to unseat me from that position. Now, I'm going to get into that story at some point into the future. You know, he's passed on to his reward. So, uh, you know, I think it's safe to talk about it, but I don't want to, I don't want to sidetrack it. That's just a bad outcome too. And so then I had another situation and Megan, you may have heard about this for the first time this morning when we were talking to our coaches. But one of the things that I, I was in a position where I had turned this division around at Thomas Nelson Publishers. I told the story publicly a gazillion times, but we had taken this division that was dead last out of 14 divisions and we're suddenly now number one. And it was a dramatic turnaround. We went from being the least profitable to the most profitable, from the from the division that had negative growth to the division that was experiencing double-digit growth, growing faster than any other division. So my boss, the CEO, came to me and said, this is fantastic. We want to expand your influence, and I want you to become the supervisor, we called it a group publisher, for five of those 14 divisions. So he's going to basically give me about a third of the company to preside over. He said, there's only one caveat. I'm not willing to do this till there's a successor to take your place because I don't want the division that you just worked hard to turn around. I don't want that to slide back into a position where it's underperforming. So I literally, I could not take advantage of the opportunity because I didn't have a successor. Wow. I was caught totally flat-footed And so I couldn't take advantage of the next opportunity for an entire year. It took me over Mm. a year to find my successor before I was eligible. So, you know, it was about a 30% bump in my salary. It was a bigger bonus opportunity that I I could see, but I couldn't taste. I couldn't, uh, couldn't take advantage of until I had a successor. And you don't want to be in that position. So if you're not a CEO or not a business owner, you still have to think about succession because your next opportunity, even if it's never expressed, may be contingent upon how you're going to backfill your current position. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's really important. So I'd love to just hear about, one, why you think this is so hard for people to talk about. So let's kind of go back to the more traditional scenario. I mean, it, actually, it's true in both cases that we just talked about, whether you're the CEO or business owner or if you're in any level of leadership. Um, I think the reasons are probably similar in some cases. But I'd love to talk about that. And then I'd love to talk about how you experienced thinking through this, like what emotions came up for you? What was the motivator for you? Like, just kind of give us some insight into what your experience was like. Yeah. So the reason why I think that a lot of people have difficulty and especially owners and CEOs, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. One is they may think arrogantly that nobody else can lead the company, you know, at the level they've led the company. Mm -hmm. Right. So they're kind of, they have an uh, inflated view of their own importance. And I'm telling you that that's not a great reason because what if your successor, even if you can't see it right now, could actually lead the business better? You know, so I think that's that's one reason. I think another reason, which may be even more existential, is they just haven't come to grips with their own mortality. I think that's the big one. I do too. I mean, I think- Fear pe- of death. Yeah, you know, you said something interesting when we uh, we we actually went on a retreat recently together, and we're kind of planning the next steps of our succession process, which we'll share uh, here in a little bit. 
And we were talking about the idea of legacy and just kind of the um, nefarious quality of that idea. It's it's really, uh, it's not what people think it is sometimes. Like it's sort of a wolf in sheep's clothing in some ways. I'd love to for you to just share about that because I think yeah. it's a big idea. Yeah. So a lot of people talk about legacy and you know, I want to make a dent in the universe, Steve Jobs you know, famously said, and undoubtedly he did. But I think for most of us, I mean, unless you're Martin Luther King Jr., unless you're Steve Jobs, unless you're Nelson Mandela, you know, that's mostly vanity, mm-hmm. right? It's an unwillingness to come to terms with your own mortality. Because for most of us, for most of us mere mortals, you know, we're going to be lucky if we end up in three generations as a box on an Ancestry.com, you know, <laughs> family tree. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the extent of it. I mean, can you... Yeah, I know you can name your grandparents because two of the four are still living. Mm-hmm. But do you know who their parents were? Uh, no. Do you even know their names? Uh, on your side, yes. Yeah. And but see, not a mom's. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is crazy. But I mean, this is why thinking about legacy in sort of the traditional sense, I think, is an exercise in vanity. It's also an exercise in trying to live on even after you're dead. Right. Like you're just not going to accept that once you're dead, you're dead. And you're going to talk about, you know, kind of how you see this in a second. I know I can feel where you're going. But uh, I mean, it's really it's really an exercise of denial. It is. It's an unwillingness to come to terms with your own mortality. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think that's that's huge. But by the way, what was the book that we read on that topic by? Oh, hmm. I'm not sure. It was by the about. medical doctor. Oh, um, uh, Being Mortal. Yes. By Atul Gawande. It's an excellent Thank you. book. Excellent. Phenomenal, book. phenomenal book. But that was a book that was, you know, that I felt like was a major stepping stone in terms of me thinking about my mortality. And that's hard for a lot of people to mm-hmm. think about. You know, I, I, I know of people who are very into longevity, and certainly I want to live as long as I can. But I don't want to be in denial you know, that, that maybe there's some technology or some medical breakthrough or something that's going to enable me to live almost forever. And occasionally you see these reports in the press where people say, you know, we're just on the cusp right. of being able to live forever. You know, at least in my worldview, that's, that's never going to happen. And so you, you have to come to terms with your, your mortality. But okay, so so now let's shift gears. If that's kind of like what's normal, then talk about your experience because you had to have this conversation with yourself. And, and I can remember sitting with you and talking about it, and just you know you kind of coming to grips with like I am not going to live forever. I can't lead this company forever. And w- what's that feel like to you? Well, a lot of mixed emotions. You know, I think that for most of my career, particularly the last ten or fifteen years. I've been so anti-retirement. And and part of that is just that, you know, based on statistics, we know that the average person from the, from the moment they retire will live another five years. So I don't really think, for me at least, it's not the option of, you know, just moving to Florida as sweet as that would be and just playing golf every day or playing checkers every day. That to me is not contribution. And I believe, I'm not an anti retirement, what I am is anti-non-contribution. So I always want to be making a contribution. You know, it's going to look different at different seasons in my life. And so I think that when I began to think about this, 
I felt like one of the things I wanted to do is start some other uh, companies because I've got some other interests. But now, even in recent months, even over the summer, I thought, actually, I don't want to do that. That sounds like an enormous amount of work. I'd rather take whatever time I have left and really pour it into this company, but in a different role, which we'll get into shortly. But I want to pour any excess time I have into mentoring my family, you know, my grandkids, and also mentoring the leaders in this business so that they're really prepared to take it to the next level. But I still had all those same emotions. And once initially I was focused on what I was going to be giving up. And let me just tell you, being a CEO, Megan, you're about to experience this. It's a pretty good gig, <laughs> right? You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's good to be the CEO. I mean, it's got its challenges and you have the, the you know, the, the weight of the company on your shoulders and the success of it and the financial responsibility and all that. But there's a lot of prestige, a lot mm -hmm. of rewards that come with it. And it's a pretty good gig. So initially when I started thinking about it, and I think this is probably normal, I was thinking about everything I was going to lose if I was to make that transition. And for example, make you the CEO, then I'd become the chairman. And what would I lose? It wasn't until I started getting focused, and I did this uh, through a tool that we use with our business coaching clients called the Project Vision Caster, where I forced myself to put into writing, not what I was losing, but what I was going to gain. What was I going to be doing with this newfound time or this newfound focus? What would I be doing? Then I started to get really excited because I thought about this next season and I thought what was going to be possible that wasn't possible right now. And so that got me excited. I think that's critical for anybody who's thinking about succession is to focus on, on how it frees you up for whatever is next. If you're not mm -hmm. positioned to take advantage of next when it happens, then you still got work to do. Yep. I think that's really important. And if you're listening and, you know, maybe you're not in the CEO seat and you're thinking, well, how does this apply to me? You know, every time I've moved into a new role in our company or anywhere for that matter, I've had to be prepared to let my previous job go to somebody else. And what I've experienced every time I've done that, I've done it over and over and over again, every time I've done it, I always feel like I'm kind of in this weird liminal space of sort of like, I really understood that. I kind of understood uh, who I was in that context and what the win looked like and how to be successful. And then I'm going to make this transition over here. And I'm, I've got to go create that, you know, like it's not all specked out. It's not ready made. And so it can be disorienting. It can be um, kind of unsettling a little bit, especially if you're just considering it. And I think what we have to believe in that process is that our best days are ahead and not behind us. Yes. You know, because if you think that your best days were when you were a CEO at the top of your game and everything after that is downhill, well, first of all, it's going to be really hard to, to make that transition. And if you do, it's not going to be positive for you. You know, I think your view, Dad, is that your contribution continues to become more and more significant until the very end. I mean, that's your that's your vision anyway, your intention, right? Yeah, kind of my... My perspective from my worldview is that I won't pass on until I fulfilled the purpose for which I was created. Right. And if I'm still alive, and by the way, I got this from Andy Andrews in his book, The Noticer, mm -hmm. which is a book I highly recommend. But, you know, and it's kind of a kind of a novel, you know, or a parable. And so he tells a great story in there that that illustrates his point. But I but I feel like if if I'm not dead yet, then that means that I haven't fulfilled the purpose, the very purpose for which I was created which means that I still have something in front of me that's left to do, something important 
that's left to do. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's my focus. And one of the things that we've tried to do over the last couple of years is get great clarity about what my own succession looks like, because for a couple of reasons, we, we want to reassure our current employees, and we have about 40 now, that there's a future and that the future is not dependent upon me mm-hmm. or my contribution. You know, it's bigger than that. So two years ago, actually, probably I would say four years ago or so, we said, you know, what we've got is a business that's built on a personal brand, me, Michael Hyatt, and that's not healthy. You know, it's a great way to start a business because, you know, people uh, build relationships with people and it's easier to build trust and rapport when you've got somebody that's the public face of the business. But what begins as an advantage can quickly turn to disadvantage if you don't decouple the business from that personality because the business will never grow beyond that person's capacity. Does that make sense? Yep. We see it all the time. I mean, it's it's a great strategy for the first part of your growth, but a lot of people fail to make that transition in this stage of growth to um, you know decouple, as you said, and they're held back by that. So we've been very intentional about that. So for example, we have the Full Focus brand. If you look at fullfocusplanner.com, which is you know probably now a little more than half of our total business, um, there's not a picture on me if they're uh, on the website unless you scroll way down. And even there, to be honest, I'm not even sure it's there. If you look at Business Accelerator, which is pretty much the other big part of our business, that's our coaching business coaching program. You know, I'm not at the top of the page. I'm not till you go way down to the bottom of the page. That's not by accident, and it's not. And I don't feel like I'm getting pushed out. I mean, there's a little part of me that feels like that, but but mostly I think this is super healthy because we're decoupling these brands from my from my personality. And so if we're going to grow and scale, then we've absolutely got to do that. Okay, a year, I guess it was maybe a year and nine months ago from the time that we're recording this in, in September of 2020. By the way, what a year this has been. I digress. Uh, so a year ago, January, we announced to our team at an annual team meeting our succession plan. And you and I got in front of our employees and we said, look, here's how we see this unfolding. And I said to the team that we have picked a date when this transition will occur. So we said January the 2nd, because we're not going to be working on January the 1st. On January the 2nd, Megan is going to become the new CEO of the company. I will become the chairman. Here's what that's going to mean. That means, and we said, what I'm not going to be involved in and what I'm going to be focused on. And again, contribution the main thing. So there was a there was an announcement, and I think, and Megan, you can can speak because you're probably a little bit closer to our teammates than I am, that uh, I think there was great relief. Yeah, I think so. I think everybody had been wondering, they had been asking, and and I think my role was continuing to become kind of more front and center internally for the team. So there was a little bit of like, okay, where's this going? You know, like I was, I was doing things that you used to do. So the transition has been sort of gradual, but also it kind of got to a point where people were like, okay, what's going on. And I think that just gave people a lot of confidence and clarity. They just could kind of relax. Like, Hey, they know exactly where this is going. This is a plan that is getting worked out step-by-step along the way. And we have a big future here, you know? So I think we, we made that announcement 
with their concerns and interests in mind, not our own. We, you know, there's all kinds of financial stuff to work out and, you know, all that stuff. That's all happening behind the scenes that they're, you know, our team is not involved with because that's not what they care about. That's not, that's not important to them. What they care about is what does this mean for me? And so as we went through the communication process, that was always top of mind. And by the way, we talked about this um, in another podcast episode, the idea of cascading communication, where when you're rolling out a big change or some kind of big communication, that you go step-by-step, uh, level-by-level hierarchically through the organization so that you don't end up with people who are surprised. So we told our executive team first, then we told our leadership team, uh, then we told you know our executive assistants or anybody that was a stakeholder that was you know really close for whatever reason, and then we told the rest of the team so that that way the leaders in the room could support and answer questions about the decision and the announcement, and they weren't left flat-footed hearing the news for the first time along with their teams. So I think that's an important just kind of um, you know tactical thing that you need to do is really think through your communication plan and make sure you're thoughtful about it and you, you do this cascading communication. By the way, one resource on that that we've created is called No Fail Communication. It's a book. And you can find that. I think it's at nofailcommunication.com. We'll put the link in the show notes. But that book talks about cascading communication and why it's so critical that you you do that mm-hmm. and why that creates alignment and you know leaves people in a sense of of confidence and not feeling flat footed like, well, boy, that was a surprise. I'm not sure right. what to think about that. Right. You know, we never want to have that happen. So yeah, so we made that announcement. We got really clear on when it was going to happen. We got clear on the timeline. We built a timeline. All that kind of stuff. But then this past summer happened. So this past summer happened and I went on my usual annual sabbatical for 30 days. This time it was mostly a staycation because COVID. And so we, we, but I did a lot of thinking. Of course, during that time, I don't typically do any work, but I felt like this was not so much about work, but about my life. And so I started doing a lot of thinking about what I wanted next. And I came to the conclusion that there was no reason to wait to January 2nd, twenty. 22. I thought to myself, and, and, I, and I think I have a reasonable, you know, sense of self-awareness and I, and I feel like I'm a pretty good leader, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I, I don't think I'm a great leader, but I think I'm a pretty good leader. But I think, and this will embarrass Megan for me to say it, and I've already embarrassed her numerous times in different audiences. I think Megan is a great leader. So I'm thinking to myself, if I'm a pretty good leader and I got the chance to put somebody on the field as the quarterback that could be a great quarterback, why would I why would I delay that? I mean, there's nothing Megan has, I mean, there's a lot she has to learn, but in terms of being qualified for this position, she knows everything she needs to know. She's been, you know, side by side with me in this business since 2012. She's seen all the various evolutions. She knows the rationale. She knows the whole body of my content. And she's just great with people. She has has the ability to be direct, but also to be really empathetic. And that makes her uh, a great leader. And so I thought, okay, I think we're going to do this January the 2nd, 2021. So that's an accelerated kind of succession plan. Now, I want to be want to be clear, and I've said this to every group I've told this about internally, but just so people aren't wondering, we're not making this transition early because I'm sick or, you know, I've got some kind of grave illness that requires me to have less stress in my life. I feel like physically... I'm at the top of my game. I mean, I know I don't quite have the energy maybe I did when I was younger, but I'm in pretty pretty good health. Yeah, and you're in great health. Yeah, so all, all that's fantastic. 
So um, it's not for that. It's not because I've, I've grown disinterested in the business. You know, I'm just kind of like bored with the business and I'm ready for the next thing. And I want to kind of step out and do something else. I love our business. I love the people I'm, you know, the team I'm playing with. I've never been in a more healthy, better corporate culture. I've never uh, played the game with more qualified, skilled, competent, committed people before. And so, you know, it's not for those reasons. You know, the reason, uh, you know, at this moment, I own 100% of the business. That's going to that's gonna change as we go on. Megan will get, you know, we'll transition equity to her and, and she's about to have an equity stake. But, but that's not going to change. I'm going to still be the owner of the business. And as the owner of the business, I got to think what's best for the business. Well, I can tell you what's best for the business. The sooner we get Megan in that CEO seat, the better it's going to be for the business. And it's going to be better for two reasons. One, because I've already said she's a great leader. She's a better leader than I am. But secondly, it's going to enable me to focus on my desire zone like I've never been able to do before. Because as the CEO, I have to have a lot of operational responsibility that, that frankly, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay at, but I really don't want to be focused there. Where my unique gifting is, I think, is creating content and particularly coming up with frameworks that are transferable to our clients. And I'm looking forward to doing that. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I mean, I think it's hard to do both of those things. And you're kind of the best when you get to be sort of like the mad scientist in the lab, you know, just making cool stuff. And and I think that's going to benefit all of you listening. It's going to be- benefit our clients, our internal team, our coaches, everybody. Everybody benefits from that because we're not content to just rest on our laurels and say, hey, this is the this is our body of work and it ends here and we're just going to keep promoting it. But we want it to continue to evolve and develop so that we can continue to help people in new and better ways as time goes on. Yep. I'm super excited about it. And in fact, it's all I can do to wait till January the 2nd. And and part of that's just a function of my personality. Right. Because on the Colby profile, I'm a very high quick start. And so once I've made the decision, I'm already there. So I kind of feel like, uh, you know, I have to wait how many months? You know, I keep looking at my watch. How many more months? You know, but but that's because I'm so excited to get to the next thing. And I think that's a key in succession planning. You've honestly got to get yourself excited about what succession, what a clear succession plan will make possible. And I, I have to give uh, a big shout out also to, uh, to Brian Miles at Belay Solutions, who's one of my dear friends. And he and his wife, Shannon, over dinner one night challenged me, you know, are you an owner or an operator. And, you know, when you're an operator of a business, you're tethered to the business. It's really hard to let go. It's hard to get away. I've, I've made it a practice since the very first year this business began to get away for 30 days and not think about the business. So that creates a certain, um, creates independence in the business, independence of me, but it's still not being fully an owner versus an operator. And so, you know, a lot of people start businesses because they want the freedom. They want the freedom to uh, do what they want to do, but then they end up finding that they've really got a job with a business that's even more dependent upon them than probably their previous assignment. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want that to happen. So you talked about what you're going to be doing inside the business and how that's different, but you didn't talk about how you're spending your time, how that's different, and what you're going to be doing personally that might be different than what you're doing now. And since we talk about Michael Hyde and company, the double win, winning at work and succeeding at life, we need to talk about the life part. Yes. Okay. This is, this is um, 
an important part of my consideration and what I gave a lot of thought to this summer. So initially when we made the announcement to the team a year and a half ago or whatever that was, I said, I really want to start some other businesses. There were some businesses that I had in mind. I'd already, already registered URL for those businesses. But the more I thought about it, the more I remembered that starting a business is a lot of work. <laughs> and even if you hire a CEO from the get-go to run that business, if you're putting your money up to get it started, you're going to be involved. You know, you just can't, you know, decouple yourself from that and just, you know, whatever happens, happens. So, um, and I thought to myself, is that the best and highest use of me at this point? I mean, the truth is, and I'm not, I'm not bragging, I'm just saying it, I, I don't need more money. I don't need more toys. You know, what I need more than anything is to make a contribution. So here's what it's going to look like. So I want to really pour into my family because I've got five adult daughters. I have currently, so far, three sons-in-laws. I have nine grandkids, which is, you know, a moving target. You know, that's, <laughs> that's just from two of my daughters. You know, Megan has five. My daughter Mindy has four. Three, three of the other daughters don't even have points on the board yet. So, you know, that's... <laughs> That's going to that's gonna increase over time. So I'm thinking, you know, I want to pour into them because part of what, it, part of my legacy to the extent there is one and part of my stewardship is not just to pass my wealth on uh, to my family, but I think of wealth not just as financial capital, but my spiritual capital, my intellectual capital, my emotional capital, all that stuff, I want to pass on. And my financial advisor challenged me to think that way seven generations deep. Hmm. Well, that requires a big investment in me passing on to my family, you know, the best of what I have. So what that's looking like in the near term is that I've already announced, uh, Gail and I bought a lake house about six weeks ago, and we love that. We wanted to create a magnet for the family where we've got toys, fun things to do so that they can't wait to come to the lake to be to be together. And, and frankly, that's exceeded my expectations and has been a total blast. But effective immediately, this started a couple weeks ago, I'm only working four days a week. So I'm working Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Thursday night, we go to the lake. It's only an hour and about an hour and 45 minutes from our home. We go to the lake and we stay there till Saturday night or sometimes because of COVID, you know, we're, we're rotating attendance at church. I don't have to go on Sunday, so I stay till Sunday night. Starting January the 2nd, when Megan takes over, I'm only going to work for the company three days a week. So Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. That other time is going to be, you know, really invested in my family and, frankly, hobbies that I have that I can do with the people that I love, including my family, my closest friends. And so, you know, I'm an avid fisherman. I play Native American flute. I'm getting back into golf. Gail's taking golf lessons. This, like, this is a dream come true. She already picked up fly fishing and started fly fishing with me, but now she's also doing golf, which I love. You're also serving on a board and that's a pretty big investment of your time and energy. Yes. I serve on the board of a seminary in New York, St. Vladimir's uh, Orthodox Theological Seminary. And I absolutely love my work there. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of what I do. And I do some one-on-one -on -one coaching too, that's outside of the purview of business, but just helping uh, some church leaders with their assignments. 
Yeah. So I think that's just helpful because when you're talking about, you really have to get a vision for, for what you're going to do, not what you're going to lose. You know, what does this make possible? You really spent time sketching out not only what does it make possible for you in terms of your professional contribution and purpose there, but also in your personal life. And I think that's a real key if you're listening to this, whether you're the CEO of a company, a business owner, or, you know, a, a leader of another type in, inside a business, this is relevant to everybody. You know, we we want you to have a vision for your professional life and your business, but also for your personal life, because that ultimately is what enables you to get to the end of your life and not have regrets to feel gratitude, to feel like you've made the contribution that you were capable of. And I think that's really at the heart of this whole conversation on succession. You know, as you were talking about this, and I'll just kind of wrap up with this thought uh, because we could go on and on forever. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of this is getting out of a scarcity mindset. What am I going to lose? And getting into an abundance mindset of what am I going to gain? And And you asked the operative question, which we've asked so many times on this show, and that is, what does this make possible? If you always start with focusing on the possibility, it'll enable you to make these kind of transitions much, it'll make it much easier. And and the truth is, there's always more. You know, there's more ways to contribute, more ways to make an impact that's more focused and more effective. And I think that's kind of a lifelong pursuit. And so it's not just that you got to prepare for that succession at the end of your life, but there are a lot of successions that happen along the way. You've got in your hand, listening to this, you've got in your hand a baton. It's been given to you as a stewardship. It's temporary. You want to give it to somebody else in better shape than when you found it, but there will be a transition. You know, it may not happen for 10 years, maybe 20 years. It may be tomorrow. So the best thing you can do is think through how you can hand that baton off to the next person in a way that they don't fumble it. Because what that does is that essentially eradicates all the work you've done, all the impact you've had. But if you can make a good handoff of that baton to the next person, then that's the best way, not for you to have a legacy, but for your work to have a legacy. And honestly, that's enough. Well, that was a great conversation, Dad. I really am enjoying this format. I mean, it just this is literally what our conversations are like. If you if you joined us for lunch on Monday, every Monday we have lunch together and and meet and kind of talk about things. This is pretty much how it goes. So welcome to the inside. <laughs> uh, but I enjoyed that. And I hope you guys listening um, not only kind of saw an example of maybe how this can go well and you can continue to follow our story on this, but I hope you caught a vision of what's possible in your own life because that's really our ultimate goal. You know, we love to share things about what's happening inside Michael Hyde and company in our own lives, but ultimately the goal is to help you uh, get the things you want in your life. So hopefully this has been helpful and we're excited to continue this format and to see you back here next week on Lead to Win. This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by our new full focus planners, including our new coil format and our brown leather executive planner. Get them for 10% off today at fullfocusplanner.com.